This is the Coin Gamer Podcast, and I'm your host, Fritz Charles. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Coin Gamma Podcast. I'm your host, Fritz Charles, and our goal is to demystify the cryptocurrency space. We are honored to have today's guest, Arthur Hayes. Arthur Hayes is a Wall Street vet, beginning his career at Deutsche Bank and at Citigroup as a derivatives trader, trading futures indexes as well as ETFs. He then moved on to the cryptocurrency space and created BitMEX, the premier cryptocurrency derivatives platform. Started in 2014, BitMEX has scaled to moving over $2.5 billion in daily trading volume. Uh, BitMEX has also created some of the top crypto research in the space. I strongly encourage you to sign up for their newsletter. It's not only informative, but it's also entertaining. And check out the research. Their latest piece on Ripple is very thorough and fact-based. You know, a lot of people are, are passing it through the the Reddits and the Twitters, and it's a, it's definitely a must-read. But I'll pass it to Arthur. Arthur, thanks for joining our podcast. You know, feel free to add a little bit more color to your background that I might have missed. No, that was great. Thanks for having me. I mean, <clears throat> I'm a ex-Wall Street guy, caught the Bitcoin crypto bug, and luckily enough found two other folks to help me build BitMEX into what it is today. Awesome, awesome. So... You know, BitMEX being kind of like the biggest derivatives platform, you obviously saw how, you know, given that with your Wall Street experience, you saw how important it was for people to be able to trade um, different contracts, not only from a speculative perspective, but also from a hedging perspective. You know, it was so early in the space. What did you see? Did you see a lot of rapid price movement? Is that why you thought like, you know what, instead of trade um building a platform that allows for spot trading like a you know a binance or what have you or or bitrex what made you kind of go directly into derivatives well derivatives trading was my background and what you notice when you trade at a bank is that the majority of the profit is made by uh, derivatives traders mainly because moving physical money assets commodities is usually very expensive in terms of collateral required and the amount of the type of people who can trade are, are limited with when you start getting into financial engineering you can start structuring payoffs that uh, afford risks to those who want to and hedge them to those who do not want them and that creates a much larger market than the underlying cash markets so when i discovered bitcoin <clears throat> the first thing i did was to look at how could you trade it where were the venues could you get leverage? Was there margin trading? And then were there any sort of um, contracts that you could trade similar to maybe futures or options? And at the time in 2013, when I first discovered Bitcoin, there was an exchange called ICBit, uh, which mm-hmm. has now gone out of business. But they were the ones who pioneered uh, the type of contracts that we see today on our platform and some of our competitors. And that's where I started trading. And after trading there for about six months, I thought that I could do a better job uh, at building a proper trading platform. And that's when I went out and found my other two co-founders and we decided to build BitMEX. Awesome. It seems like you, you created, I mean, you're, you're based in East Asia, uh, one of the top or one of the uh, the biggest exchanges at the time was based in Japan, Mt. Gox. Where, did you create this before or after the big hack of 2014? So we started building our platform in January 2014, uh, right as uh, MT Gox was imploding. Wow. So 
And then we went live in November of 2014, which was right before the price um, collapsed into the beginning of 2015. So wow. it couldn't have been a worse time to launch a Bitcoin trading platform. And you know, those who survived the nuclear winter of 2014 and 2015 and are still here today are very happy that they did so. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they say sometimes that's the best time to start something when everybody's kind of looking away. Um, but I'm sure it was definitely a ton of pressure during that time. Kudos to you to, for sticking through. And so I guess one thing I want to talk about, given the fact that you are a, a, a finance professional um, that, you know, is now in this crypto space, like what's your perspective on like traditional finance folks not liking crypto? Sometimes they kind of have their nose up at it. Let's you know think about like maybe a Jamie Dimon that you know even though he's kind of changed his tone a little bit over the past you know few weeks, he he's kind of well documented on being more of a Bitcoin bear. Um, so what, what's what's kind of your perspective on on folks like that, given that you've been on both sides? I think that in traditional asset price rallies, the traditional players all have skin in the game and are making money in the racket. So. If you talk about the internet in the early 90s and then the dot-com boom, um, this was not a grassroots retail-led movement, but uh, venture capital from Silicon Valley and then onto Wall Street with your ECM desk like Frank Quattrone and other folks who made hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars promoting the new age of the internet. And so when you move into the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency landscape, you have a whole movement that completely sidestepped all of the traditional gatekeepers. Sure. Um, <clears throat> the venture capital firms were not invested in Bitcoin or some of the early uh, Bitcoin-related ser uh, service providers. Traditional banks, um, at first banked some of the exchanges and then you know turned their nose on them and started closing accounts. But the movement continued to grow, the prices continued to rise, and people continued to make wealth. But it was a class of people who were not ingrained in the traditional financial services system, mainly from a retail standpoint. You have people who invested a few thousand, a few hundred thousand dollars who are now billionaires and who have no ties and no allegiances to any of these traditional financial institutions. Right. And that's why I think they poo-poo Bitcoin, not because they – don't believe in a completely speculative new asset. I mean, look at the VIX ETFs today and ETPs. The thing went to zero overnight. How sure. can they, you know, with a straight face claim that Bitcoin is too volatile when you have Credit Suisse issuing an ETF that essentially went out of business in one trading day? Right, right. It is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, when I was trading, um, we had some of these ETF clients that were using um, swaps or our futures to hedge. And like some of them were like these like 2x return ETFs where you kind of just would get double or triple the return of the S&P 500 on a daily basis, but within one package. And so, yeah, it's, it's crazy when you kind of hear some of these traditional finance folks saying, hey, this is all speculation and, you know, this stuff is all kind of... Uh, you know, made up or what have you, but you know, as 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 we both know, there's there's a ton of that in the quote unquote uh, traditional finance space. On the other hand, you do have people in the Bitcoin space that hate how focused people are on on pricing, how much you know these new you know finance uh, tra everything's kind of around trading and things of that sort, and more in the economics versus the 
I guess, the technology. What, what, what are some of the stuff that you kind of say to them, let them know why it's so important to have a liquid market? Well, the best <clears throat> indicator as to the health of any product is a price. Someone's willing to exchange their hard-earned uh, money, whether that's fiat or crypto, to uh, invest in a project. Uh, that also connotes who is willing to spend their time on a project. If I'm a developer and I have millions of things I could be using my talents on, how do I choose which project? Well, usually <clears throat> I use some sort of market signal. And the best one is a free market where there's a market clearing price, which indicates where the community as a whole values a sure. certain project. And the great thing about the ICO movement is a project with essentially zero development now has a market clearing price based on the market's perception of the team's ability to deliver on their white paper. Now, the majority of the cases, the team will not deliver on the white paper or they might deliver on the white paper and the thing that they built is not actually useful to the general society. But at least yeah. there is a price that gives some modicum of uh, liquidity and you know early investors can get out of their investment before it goes to zero and developers who are looking at where should i put my time can say oh well this ico has gone up or this this team delivered a coin it's up or it's down and it'll help them make a better informed decision totally um so kind of just pivoting a little bit back to your platform so like you have you have a good assortment of of choices so yeah somebody could trade contracts on on Bitcoin, Cardano, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, Neo, Monero, Ripple, Stellar, and Zcash. That's a big list, but obviously there's like, you know, 1,300 other coins. What kind of, what what's the process to kind of choosing which coins you add to your platform? Similar to, you know, Coinbase, they're, you know, you don't let everything onto the platform as soon as they come out. So do you, what's what's kind of like the filtering process for that? Um, so number one, because we offer um, contracts for trading and we're not actually exchanging the underlying currency, we will never list coins that are small from a market cap basis. So okay. if we're going to look at what we're going to list a contract on top of, we want to see a coin that has at least a $1 billion US dollar market cap in the secondary market. Sure. And then it basically comes down to hot or not. So what are people talking about? Where is their news flow? Where do people either think the coin is complete dog shit or it's nirvana and you know it's going to infinity? We want that sort of emotion around the coin or we want some sort of momentum in terms of people are talking about a particular development or the thematic nature of the coin fits into something that is a popular narrative. So anything that gets traders excited. We don't really care about the technical merits of the coin because we don't actually accept it as a deposit or a margin currency. It's still, everything is still settled in Bitcoin. So for us, it's purely a price of volatility and a liquidity and market cap. Makes sense. Do you, do you ever think, given that you settle everything in Bitcoin, do you ever think that that could change in the future? If uh... Absolutely. Okay. So we, we evaluate which coins have a large user base, um, a large, um, market cap and large liquidity. So the next one on our list that we're looking very closely at is Ethereum and being able to deposit Ethereum as collateral and then issuing a whole set of 
contracts where the profit and loss is denominated in Ethereum as well. Totally. I guess, I guess speaking of uh, Ethereum and Ether, read one of your interviews on CoinDesk. It said, and in one of your quotes is that Ether isn't money. Can you kind of elaborate on that, or let me know if I kind of misquoted or took it out of context? Sure. So um, what I mean by that is the best forms of monetary instruments have no inherent usefulness other than being used as money, as a medium of money. Now, Bitcoin uh, doesn't have any uh, usefulness other than being used as uh, e-money, whereas Ethereum is a decentralized computer. And to operate your program on this computer, you must pay Ether to the network sort of your, your gas fees. So the inherent demand for Ether is driven by the usefulness of applications built on top of the network, which is not the same for Bitcoin, which is why Ether has you know a constant inflation. Sure. And the foundation has made it very clear that they're not trying to create another monetary instrument. And their actions surrounding uh, the DAO um, hack, if you want to call it that, or executing code as written, but not in the intended way, was another uh, guidepost that basically says these guys want to create an ecosystem uh, where programs can be developed. They don't really care if they violate the immutability of their blockchain, because at the end of the day, they're not trying to create a monetary instrument. Sure, sure, sure. And then... uh... Pivoting again back to kind of exchanges. So one of the big things that you're, you know, you launched during a time where, you know, Mount Gox kind of was faltering and they had security issues. Um, your platform has kind of been super strong and have never kind of heard of anything, any downtime or anything to that sort. But just in the last week, we saw Binance kind of had to, um, you know, uh, shut down for maintenance um, without warning during you know during during the week and then you had uh big grail which is this exchange in in italy that was uh revolved around nano or or xrb and there there's a lot of controversy around that like what do you what is what do you see your thoughts around kind of like the different exchanges and what are some of the things that that your team does your firm do to kind of make sure that you keep um things secure so the first thing that we actively do is limit the scope of what we do. So we do not do all things. Um, we're not trying to be all things to all people. And the first thing is we don't do spot trading. Now, the problem with spot trading, uh, even when you're just talking about Bitcoin to fiat, is number one, you have to deal with banks because you have to process fiat deposits and withdrawals into and out of your exchange. Sure. Banks are notoriously, they have bad technology, bad customer service, and then which is pretty funny for all the money that these crypto exchanges are paying these banks in terms of fees, the banks don't really want them as clients or most banks don't. Right. And so you have whole customer support departments, hundreds of people at each large fiat crypto exchange. All they do is trace down wires. Customers call in where, why isn't my deposit credited? Where's my money? Usually it's the error on the, the client. They put the wrong details in, to you know the instruction form to wire the money but at the end of the day these exchanges are spending a lot of energy on on that and then another big problem with a spot exchange is that most people want their money back immediately which means you need to run a hot wallet sure and as we've seen time and again the hot wallet is where hackers 
steal money from. Uh, it's very difficult for uh, a hacker to gain access to physically stored uh, cold keys. And you know, we can rattle off a list of exchanges who've all had their hot wallet hacked. But at the end of the day, the customers who deposit their money and they buy a crypto want it back immediately. Right. And now when you move into the crypto to crypto exchanges, like your Binance, Poloniex, Bittrex, now you're dealing with hundreds of different blockchains, most of which are less than one year old. And so obviously there's going to be security issues. Being able to stay on top of all that while safeguarding client assets is a Herculean task. And I don't know how they do it, but some do it well, some don't do it well. Sure. And I think after you've gotten through all of that, then you have to move on to the actual uh, matching engine and the products that are provided. And you know most exchanges falter just on custodying the assets and dealing with um, banking issues, let alone trying to get to the trading engine. So when you come to BitMEX, we only deal in Bitcoin. We don't accept fiat. We don't let you trade Bitcoin for another asset. You can purely trade contracts, right. which means that we can run withdrawals once a day. We use a multi-signature to secure our Bitcoin, and we can constantly audit every transaction on our platform to make sure that the activity is consistent with um, what we want happening uh, on the trading platform. So it makes it much easier to run a, a proper business when you've limited the scope of what you do. Makes make, makes makes total sense. Given you know, I know I know you you guys don't offer any um, you know you you only trade in the top market caps. You only um, you, you're trading CFDs, um, so you're not really got kind of getting into the new coins or the ICOs. Um, but do, do you follow um, kind of like smaller coins? And if so, are there any projects you find interesting? I follow mainly the ones that are going to garner the most um, media interest. Sure. So obviously, <clears throat> first quarter. That is Telegram, right? And that's right. the the ICO that everyone's talking about. I think it's going to be around two billion that they're going to raise. I think the token generation event is sometime in late March. Sure, but who knows? Those are the type of things that I follow. And on those projects, we might list a contract that starts trading before a secondary market on the token exists. Um, we did that most successfully with Zcash. In 2016, um, we had a Tezos contract, and we most likely will have a Telegram contract as well. But for the smaller, you know, ICOs, you know, sub $100 million raise, I really have no idea. There's so many of them out there, and they right. do so many different things. Right, right. And also, they do a lot of so many of the same things. I mean, how, how many yeah, exactly. how many coins are claiming to do faster transactions and or do you know decentralized uh, identities? It's 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 crazy. Obviously, there's going to be a huge consolidation over time. But also, you know, in the interest of time, you know, I know you're just starting your trading day, and really really appreciate you um, spending this time with us. Um, you know, if we, you know, I, I'm very thankful for your time. If any of our listeners also want to kind of express their gratitude for you spending the time with us today, um, how can they reach you? Are you on Twitter or, or LinkedIn? Or- um, so they can, they can talk to us on Twitter at, uh, at BitMEX, D-O-T-C-O-M. So BitMEX.com is okay. our, is our Twitter handle. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, definitely we'll link that in the show notes and, uh, and thanks again. This was fun. Thank you. 